Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, so good to see all of you guys here today. Um, hey, listen, let me, let me start off before we get running in the direction we're going to run. Uh, let, me, let me just say to all you dads in the room, man, happy Father's Day. Yeah. You know, this morning, uh, if I could just take a moment, I was, this morning when I was just kind of praying and getting ready for today, uh, the Lord took me back to, I don't know, some months ago, one day I was working on a project in my garage, and the Lord just began to speak to me about the different roles that I play in people's lives. And what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, the first one, he started off with, uh, with me being a pastor and just kind of what my role is as a pastor. And then he, then he began to talk to me about how uh, pretty much that I can be replaced. <laughs> and, and as a dude, that kind of hurt my feelings. And it did. That, that, that was hard to hear. But, but basically what he was saying was is that, that you know, if, if he sent us elsewhere and then he puts somebody else up here, you know, a few weeks may go by and people may miss us. But after a while, man, things are just going to keep running and, and people are just going to move on with life. And, and like I said, that was hard to hear. And then he said, OK, well, let's let's look at how you are as a friend in people's lives. And obviously being a guy that's lived, you know, in several states and I got, man, you know, hundreds and hundreds of friends all over the place. Uh, what happens is, is you just kind of do life with people for a while, then you move on to the next place. And uh, and the, the really solid relationships stick, but most of them just kind of go away. And the Lord was like, see, you're, you're replaceable. They got new friends. I was like, ouch, Lord, that, that hurt too. Anyway, so then he just kept, kept, going, kept going down the list, and he finally got to the spot where it was about my five kids. And then he said, Quentin, out of all the places and all the roles you play in life, this is the one spot where you are not replaceable. And so I say that today, gentlemen, because I want you to realize that if your kids are still young in your home or if you have older kids who are not in your home, man, your role in their life is still vital. It's still, still extremely important. You know, even as I stand here today, I'm going to be 45 in a month. And, uh, and I'm like, man, Lord, even at 45, I still see there's still inside of me uh, a desire to have a father to call to look to for stability and wisdom and answers. And, and so that really just never goes away. And so you guys that have, you know, older kids, maybe around my age, please don't think that, that your voice isn't valuable anymore. So listen, the, the, Bible, the Bible says a, a very sobering verse at the end of the Old Testament, it's the last verse in the Old Testament, it says this, that God desires to return the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And then he says this, this last thing. Most time we quote that and we just move on and we forget that there's this one other sentence that's actually the last verse in the Old Testament. And it says this, least I come and smite the earth with a curse. What's he saying? He's saying basically look around at all the dysfunction you see. Surely the devil's having a heyday. But at the end of the day, a lot of the dysfunction that we see is simply because men haven't stepped up to be the leaders that God's called them to be. That's the truth, right? And so I just want to remind you of the value that you have 
the God-given value and the importance that you have in people's lives. And so I want to I just take a moment kind of with that said, and I want to pray for the guys in the room. It's the best gift I can give you today. Uh, I prayed for you earlier today, but I want to do it again. And so if you can, uh, grab the hand of the person next to you, please. They may be a dad, they may not be a dad, but, but listen, there's power in agreement. And Jesus said, if we touch and agree, right? Amen. That doesn't mean you have to reach across the aisle and make things really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's hard to hold that stretch while the preacher prays. Yeah. Jesus, we thank you for every father that's in this room today. Father, we recognize that you're the one that made us a father. You're the one that gave us the gift of children. And so, Lord, today I'm asking that you would help us to realize who we are through your eyes. God, help us to realize the, the role and the responsibility that you've given us. Lord, you're the one that said that children are a gift from the Lord. You actually said that a, that a man who has a quiver full is blessed. So, Lord, I know I'm really blessed today. I got five kids. That's why I'm saying that. Lord, but you also said they're like arrows, God, that, that we, we shoot. God, that there comes a day where that our children are launched or maybe they've already been launched. And Lord, we just are asking today that you would give us the wisdom that we need and the grace that we need and the understanding that we need and the discernment that we need to be the fathers that you've called us to be. Because Lord, today we recognize in and of ourselves, God, we don't have the ability to do it. We're not that awesome. God, we desperately need you because raising kids is hard. Being a husband is hard. So God, would you give us what only you can give us to help us be successful in what you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Lord, I also ask God if there's anybody that's here today that, that is struggling because of a loss in their life that maybe their father's passed, they've already went on. Lord, I'm asking today that you would comfort as only you can comfort that you would hold who needs to be held, and that you'd bring healing where it needs to bring healing. And Lord, if there's any man in here today that is struggling with just generational stuff, because a lot of times we don't choose our dads, and our dads give us garbage. And Lord, they, they don't, we don't get a whole lot from them. But Lord, we thank you that you said in your word that Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. We know that iniquities is inborn traits. It's generational stuff. Lord, we thank you that you have broken every bit of that off. And God, we just choose today to come out of agreement with all that and to live the life that you want us to live. So, Lord, we come in agreement with you. And, Lord, we believe that you, that's the one who's called us to righteousness, will help us be righteous. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So listen, this morning, we're going to jump uh, right into our sixth part of our current series. If you've been around here for a bit, you know it's entitled Foundation, Building Blocks of the Faith. And uh, if you've been around here as well, you also know that the core scripture that we've been using for this series is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, before we read that again, I want to share with you a little bit of background to this passage, just so you know in context why we're reading it and why what is being said is said. So, so when you look at this portion of Scripture, basically theologians say that not only this portion of Scripture, but the whole book of Hebrews was actually written to a group of Jewish believers who were struggling in their faith. And by struggling, I don't mean that they were having an off day or they were having a bad week. I mean, these guys were literally uh, teeter-tottering. They were wavering back and forth in their, in their minds if they had made the right choice or not not in converting from Judaism to Christianity. Now, the reason they were struggling so bad is because if 
you know church history, there was this guy named Nero at this time that was written. He was killing loads of Christians. And so that's what was calling them to waver, to go, did I make the right choice or not? And so once again, they're, they're contemplating, not just struggling with, oh my gosh, what's happening around me, but they were literally contemplating on returning back to Judaism. And so the main purpose of this letter was to encourage them that in spite of all their doubts, in spite of the persecution, all their fears that they were facing, that man, that they would just stay the course in their decision to follow Jesus Christ. But as we read this, we discovered that right in the middle of this, really at the end of chapter 5, going into chapter 6, there's this twist in the narrative where the writer of Hebrews actually slides in a bit of correction. And what he does is he corrects them for not being further along or more mature in their faith than they were. I want us to read together, just so we understand the context. says this in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says that he told them, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Another translation says, by now you ought to be. It says, instead, you still need someone to teach you again the basic or the elementary things about God's word. And it says, you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. This says in verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill or the discernment to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that portion of Scripture, my mind, in my head, I typically picture about a 45-year-old man in a diaper with a binky in his mouth. So, beautiful thought, right? Little chubby. Hopefully I'm not describing myself, right? So, anyways, so, so what's wild is, is, you know, most of us, if we saw, I don't know, you know, a nine-month, a year-old, maybe a 13-month-old, if, if we see a child like that in a diaper with a passy, you know, holding a bottle of milk, we think that's normal, right? But if you fast forward and you see a grown man who's growing a beard and got chest hair, and he's like, okay, he's still sitting in a diaper holding his binky. Then you, how many of you guys know there, there might be a problem there? The, the, you know, there was a delay in their development, okay? That, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, look, that's what you look like, right? But he, but he doesn't just leave it there. He proceeds to tell them why their spiritual growth wasn't up to par. He said it was due to the fact that they hadn't taken the time to learn or establish themselves in the elementary or the foundational teachings of Christ, in essence, he was saying this, like, look, foundations were meant to be built upon, and you haven't done that. You haven't taken the time to lay that, so you've stunted your spiritual growth, and you're actually stuck in spiritual infancy. And so until you get that squared away, you're not going to go on any further. You're not going to move on. You're going to keep just circling the mountain. And so I, I think, you know, the same thing can be said not only in the natural, but it's also in the spiritual. We have that a lot in the church, in the spiritual. We do. And so with that in mind, let, let's look at what the writer of Hebrews once again said, the spiritual foundation, what it needs to be made of. And, and verse 1, chapter 6, says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles or the elementary teachings of Christ, let us go on. Let us move forward to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation. And then he lays out the elementary school or the ABCs of the faith. He says they're this, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgments. All right, as most of you know, we've already covered the first four on that list. If you missed them, go check out the podcast. But what I would like to do for the next couple of weeks is to condense the last two, resurrection of the dead 
and eternal judgment into one subject, and that subject is this, is eternity. Now, to get the ball rolling, the first verse I would like for us to look at that I believe pertains to eternity is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make, or let us create, let us fashion man or mankind in our image. Somebody say image. It says, According to our likeness. Now, I, I recognize when most people hear that verse, they're thinking, man, okay, BQ, cool, but what, what does being created in the image of God have to do with eternity? I, I'm here to tell you today it has everything to do with eternity. And here's why. The, the Bible makes it really clear that God is an eternal being. We see verses like Psalm 90, verse 2, it says that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation 1.8 says that he is the one who was and is and is to come, right? Isaiah 9.6 calls him the father of eternity. 1 Timothy 1.17 calls him the king of eternity. So I think when you and I read verses like these, we automatically understand that only God can be God, right? Because he alone has these distinct attributes or qualities that ultimately make him the one true God. But, but listen, it doesn't change the fact that God in his infinite wisdom chose to reproduce certain qualities of himself in us when he created us in his image. Which brings us to this point. Because you and I were created in the image of God, we were also created for eternity. In other words, we were born with eternal life really just woven or intertwined into our spiritual DNA. How do we know that? Listen to this verse. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Then it says that God has also set, or as another translation says, placed, or another translation, my favorite says, it's planted. That He has planted eternity in the human heart. See, that's why it doesn't really matter where you and I go around the world. We can go to the jungles in South America, we can go to Africa, we can go to the bush in Australia, we can go to London, we can go wherever you want to go in the world. Man, there, there's people, once again, tribal people, everybody knows there's something else. Is that true? How many rituals and religions and all that are trying to get to something else, right? But it goes on to say this, it says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Or I love it how Job says it in Job 36, 26. It says, no one can begin to understand eternity. Come on, give me an oh yeah if you know that's true. So, so what is Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, and what is Job? What are they saying here? They're saying this. Is that even though you and I can't wrap our head around this thing called eternity, there's still obviously something in our heart down the deep inside of us that tells us there has to be more to this life than just the number of days we live here on earth. Now, here's what's crazy. In spite of that truth, it seems like there's a whole lot of people that still choose to live their lives with about 70, 80, 90 years in mind. That, in other words, that they tend to view life and even plan their life through the lens of that amount of time. So, listen, truth be told, I have met a lot of people over the years who seem to be better prepared for retirement than they do for eternity. Right? Yet the Bible tells us that we need to view life as nothing more than a vapor. Y'all realize how fleeting that is? Listen, in fact, it compares minding your life and literally as, a, as our time on earth as a piece of grass that literally is here today and gone tomorrow. If that's true, and I'm here to tell you it is true, right? 
then do you think we should purpose in our hearts to live for eternity rather than the short period of time that we're on this big old ball of dirt? Yes. Yes. All right, so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to actually share with you why it's important for you and I to live for eternity, and then I want to talk about what we can expect when we get there because all that's really, really, really important. So to do this, I want to reiterate and read something that Jesus said in John chapter 5. This is what he said. He said, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, when everybody that's dead, says, will hear his voice. He's talking about his own voice. It says, and they will come out. Somebody say, come out. It says, they'll come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the key word in this passage here is the word resurrection. Like Jesus is saying that there will come a day when all that which is dead, guess what, will come back to life. Right? Yes. Okay. So listen, the Apostle Paul echoes this truth. You can go read it yourself. 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4. If I can, I'm going to summarize all those kind of together. Here's what he says. He says that there's going to come a day. When the trumpet sounds, when that trumpet sounds, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, right? And those who are dead in Christ will be called up. That's where we get the word rapture, rapture. They'll be taken up, up into the clouds, right? In other words, they'll fly in the air. They'll come out of the graves. They'll fly into the air. And then those who are alive at that time, they'll meet them there. And then it says at that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it says that our bodies will be transformed, That at that moment, our corruptible bodies will put on incorruptibility and our mortal bodies will put on immortality. That's good news, yeah? Now, what was Jesus and Paul talking about here? What they were trying to do is to explain to you and I what the writer of Hebrews later described as the doctrine of resurrection of the dead. He is the resurrection and the life, right? And so because he resurrected, guess what happens to all the rest of us? Biblically... Listen, we know it doesn't stop at the resurrection. In other words, we all just don't go boom and it's done. There's more to the story than that. And so, in fact, if there's, a, if there's any verse that you hear me say today, I want you to hear this one. It's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says this. And it's just as each person, that each person is every believer and non-believer. Just as each person is destined to die once. Somebody say once. That, that means you get one life. We don't come back as a cow or a chicken. Okay. Or a better, good-looking person. Nobody comes back looking like Chris Hemsworth. All right? That's Thor, by the way, in case you didn't know. Anyway, whatever. All right, moving along. We get one life, right? And it says this. And it says, it's destined to die once, and after that. What is that? It's the resurrection. What happens after the resurrection? There comes judgment. Now, the apostle Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, and we must all, once again, believer and unbeliever, stand before Christ to be judged says, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Pretty clear, yeah? So according to both of those verses, and obviously a lot like them, after you and I die, obviously there's a time where we're resurrected, we pass from this life to the next, and at that moment there's this thing that starts, it's called the judgment. Now, I want to say something here because if you, depending on your church background, the word judgment can stir up a lot of emotions. So, you know, for years, anytime I thought the word judgment, I, I was taught to view God as, man, he's just ticked off. 
Right? Like that's his moment to get even with the human race. And he's about to drop the hammer, and here it comes. And so anytime I heard the word judgment on the inside, scared out of my wits, right? So, but here's actually what the word judgment means in the Greek language. I want you to hear this. It means a decision resulting from an investigation. A decision resulting from an investigation. That doesn't sound like he's angry to me. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, listen, what's he going to investigate at that moment? Jesus is going to investigate or take a thorough look at our lives. Right? See, that's why the Apostle Paul said this about the moment that we stand before him. It says in Romans 14, it says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The, the words there, give an account, here in the Greek language, literally means that you and I will be required to give a factual report of our lives. Listen, at that moment, all the mask. All the excuses, all the pretenses, all the blame shifting, all the he said, she said, he hurt, she hurt, the church hurt, all that stuff that so many people hide behind, it goes out the window. It disappears. And at that moment, we are fully known and fully exposed. Who we are, we are there. And the only way I know how to describe it is, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know the first king of Israel was Saul, and there came a point where Saul hid behind a bunch of baskets. What I'm trying to tell you is, in that moment, there are no baskets to hide behind. So in this first phase, if you will, of this investigation, where we, the first thing we give a factual report to is this, is, is what did we do with the gospel? What did we do with the gospel? That's where it begins. Did we really believe in Jesus? I'm not talking about some mental ascent. I'm talking about did we really, really, really learn how to love, surrender, and obey and follow Jesus or not? See, Revelation 20 puts it this way. It says that at that day, there's going to be this thing called the book of life. It's going to be open. And it says that basically when we stand before him, if our name is in that book, guess what? We're good to go. But if our names are not in that book... Uh oh. Right? See, the Bible says at that point, based off of what's, if our names are found in the book or not, that we're going to be divided into two groups. And the unbelievers will go, that group will stand before the great white throne of judgment. And then us as believers will go stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So once we're divided into these two groups, the, the second phase of this investigation will commence, okay? And, and forgive me, obviously I'm just trying to put language to what's happening. So don't get caught up so much with the words. But, but as, as God investigates or takes this thorough look of our lives, this is where the unbelievers will receive, we'll talk about this more in weeks to come, but, but they'll receive the eternal punishment that they deserve. And we as believers will receive our eternal rewards. Now, the point that I want to make at this moment to everyone that's in this room is I can't stress to you enough the word eternal. Eternal, right? We got to understand that the decisions that Jesus will make on that day, man, they're final. They cannot be changed, right? Remember what Hebrews 6 said. It says eternal judgments, or we could put it in different language. They are forever or final decisions. Like he doesn't send us to our room until we get better, right? Like like what we do, there's decisions made and that's going to last, 
Okay, now to put what I believe is a proper perspective in the time we're living in, I actually want to quote the late Leonard Ravenhill. He said this years ago when he was speaking on the topic of the judgment seat, but he said this in one of his sermons. He said this. He said, you can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. And then he said this, and I'll never forget the first time I ever heard this at 20 years old. He said, this period we're in now is a dressing room for eternity. That's all it is. This period we're in is a dressing room for eternity. Like when you stand before him, man, what's done is done. I don't know about you, but that's sobering. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) Right? Listen, if that's true... That there is, for lack of better words, once again, the second phase of this investigation, then I think it'd be good for us to know what that judgment or that investigation is going to be based off of. Don't you think that's good to know? I do. So, biblically, we know that there, there's four factors in God's judgment. I want to give them to you quickly. The first factor is this is God judges according to our works. Somebody say works. Once again, we alluded to this, but let's read it now. Revelation 20 says this. says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Somebody say books. So theologians believe, once again, we'll get into this later, but they actually believe that, that angels are sent on assignment, and they follow us around, and what they see us do and say and act and all that stuff, they write it down in a book. We don't see them, they see us, and they're recording. Okay? And then it says this. It says, then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were what? Judged according to their works by the things that were what? That were written in those books. So when we hear the word works, you know, I'm going to ask that we don't make the mistake of limiting the meaning of that word merely to our actions, like that other people see and don't see. Because the reason I say this is because the Bible makes it really clear that God's judgment and his investigation will take into account not only our actions, y'all don't miss this, but also our words, our motives, our secret thoughts, and even the intentions of our heart. Now, what I want us to understand there, there's a lot of things that we can hide from people in that, but you can't hide it from him. True? True? All right, so let me give you all some good news. And, and by the way, I'm not trying to be, hopefully I'm not coming off mean today, but I know this is tense, but just hang with me. There's a lot of, if you, if you serve Jesus, there's good news in all this. If you don't, it should scare you, okay? So it should, and I don't mean that lightly. But, but I want to say this to us who have fully surrendered our lives to Jesus, is when you and I actually stand before the judgment seat of Christ, at that moment, you know, people talk about there's this screen that's going to come down and he's going to, you know, play our entire life for everybody to see. I don't know where they get that because the Bible doesn't say that. So if the Bible doesn't say it, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Okay? But, but, but here's what I do know that's going to happen. It is for us that have, have said yes to Jesus, he isn't going to rehearse every sin that we've ever committed. Okay, in other words, he isn't going to judge us, key word I want us to understand here, on who we were before we got saved. Okay, and the reason I say it is because all that's been covered by the blood. 
Right? It's been thrown into what the Bible calls the sea of forgiveness. We have been separated from all that sin as far as from the east and the west. They're not going to touch. So this isn't a moment for us to love Jesus where he's going to condemn us or shame us. Like That's not going to happen, right? Is anybody other than me really thankful for that? Amen. Amen. So, but, but, but here's, the, here's the weighty part that I do need you to hear. Like We rejoice in that, but here's the part that you and I got to take to heart is that as believers, we'll, we will be judged, investigated by what we did with our lives after we came to Christ. So you and I are going to have to give an account to how willingly and how fully we carried out the things that Jesus asked us to do. In other words, at this moment, he will assess, key word for today, our obedience to him. Y'all hear me? So all that side part that people say this, um, well, I know that's a sin, but it's okay. I can ask for forgiveness. I can ask for grace. And I'm not saying God doesn't. Listen, we all blow it, okay? Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. But I'm talking about the people who just go, whatever, I'm going to do it. There's still a day. You think you got off of it, and you think you said a little prayer, and your conscience was clear, and you kept going. There's going to be a day you're going to answer for that. Okay? That's me too. Okay? I've done it too. Right? So, so we got to understand that this will be a place, or, or this place of evaluation, it's on the basis, once again, of our obedience and our disobedience. And depending on that, it will determine the rewards that we're given and even our responsibilities for eternity. At that moment, they're going to be established. And so if I can just say this, we have an understanding really quick. Heaven is not going to be a place where, you know, there's just some fat little dumpy angel with a harp and then another one behind him shooting arrows, right? That's Cupid, right? And, and, and we're just kind of floating on, on clouds eating grapes. Are, are y'all with me? Like, that, like that's not heaven. Okay, the Bible describes heaven as a place where we're actually going to live life. We're with him. There is no sin. There is no tears. There is none of that stuff. But we're going to live life. And so guess what? How we live this life determines what our next life's going to look like. Once again, rewards and responsibilities. Amen. You remember Jesus did say, if you do these things, you will rule and reign with me. Right? He who has been trusted with much, given much, actually does something with much. There's a reward in that, okay? So it means this, is that our current level of obedience in this life is what will ultimately, once again, determine our place of service and responsibilities in the next one. And why is that important, okay? Y'all hang with me here. Lean in. That means this, that you and I need to be super discerning by what we do. Now, what do I mean by that? Is I mean that we don't need to just be busy for busy's sake. Right? Because what busy for busy's sake, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's wood, hay, and stubble. That gets burned up. All our lives are going to be tested by fire. The Bible says it. But guess what? If we actually are about the Father's business, then we're going to build in that foundation with silver, gold, and precious stones. And how many of you guys know when those things hit the fire, they come out pure? In other words, our lives go to the fire, and then we have something of greater worth at that moment to offer our King. That's why we have crowns that we'll bow down and lay it at His feet. Amen? All right, here's the second factor we need to be aware of, that God judges without partiality. The Bible's really clear. Romans 2 says, for there is no partiality with God. That means this, that God doesn't have an unfair bias in favor or against one person over another. Did y'all hear that? 
It doesn't have some unfair bias. In other words, we're all equal in the eyes of God in this sense, is that to show you the difference. As people, I think we have a natural tendency, if we want to admit it or not, somebody's 20 feet away from us and we automatically size them up. Y'all hang with me here. It's true, right? We size them up, and, and if we want to say we do it or not, a lot of times we judge people and we create opinions of them by external things. If it's their race, if it's their religion, if it's their what we kind of find out they do for a job, their social status, their physical appearance, right, or, or how they're dressed, if they're wealthy, if they're not, right, if they have talent, they're educated, or if they're not. Like, literally, we size people up and we judge them off what God said in 1 Samuel. It says that we look at the outward appearance But all the while, God's looking at the heart, right? And so God's judgment is not influenced or altered by any of those things that you and I tend to get caught up into, which also means that how you and I, we tend to go, okay, can I I get real with y'all real quick? I feel like I'm losing some of you. See, y'all hang with me here. I'm going to tell you how we tend to do things. We We tend to have a standard for people, and then we have a standard for ourselves, so, so we, we, we throw bricks at people, unless they're our families, and we're, oh, okay, we baby them and coddle them and act like there is no such thing as judgment. It's truth. It's truth. But we coddle there, and then we go, okay, well, all the rest of them, blah, 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 right? And then we go here, oh, but God, I need mercy and grace. That's what we want. Am I making sense? Listen, God's not like us. He doesn't have two standards, three standards, four standards. He, he's got one standard. One, that's it, okay? And the reason I think we need to pay attention to that is because what Peter said in chapter 1, he said this, says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, watch this, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In other words, you need to be sober by how you live. You need to take it serious. So how does he remain impartial? It's really simple. Number three is this, is God judges according to the truth. He judges according to the truth. That means that he doesn't doesn't judge according to pop culture. Y'all do realize that Jesus isn't all hung up on what's happening on Facebook or Instagram, right? Like that's not going, oh, that's the way America's going now. Maybe I need to shift a little bit. Right, right? Like he's he's not... basing his judgment or his truth, right, off of, uh, off of some philosopher or some doctor that says somebody should do this or that, not some scientist, not some professional blogger, not some professional YouTuber, right? Like, like his decisions are based off one thing, the truth, right? So Romans 2 says this. It says, because of that, you and I are inexcusable. We don't have an excuse, Therefore, you are excusable, O man, says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Now, I want to point out something. It's because basically something happened, I don't know, about my generation, and it just keeps getting worse, snowballing. But, but notice it doesn't say truths. See, see there's, there's no such thing. Y'all please hear me. There is no such thing. I say it's the most grace I got. There is no such thing as many truths. And there is no such thing as a person's personal truth. Like there is only one truth. And that truth is absolute. It's settled, right? So, so that doesn't make God mean. That doesn't make him cruel. What that makes God, y'all please listen to me. It makes him consistent. 
It makes him faithful and steadfast and stable, right? So the reason is, imagine if, if it's like, okay, Wes has a truth, Jeff has a truth, Jim has a truth. Okay, and they're all right. Well, my gosh, what are we aiming at today? That's like a moving target, right? Are we going to please him today? No, 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 that's not what we, okay, it's over here today. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Right, and, and so I, I think it brings like this day. It's like we know what we get. And at the same time, I think it keeps us from making our feelings and our fleshly impulses from becoming our God. Because that's what's happening, y'all. Like, like, turn on the TV. People are making their fleshly sexual desires their God. Okay? They're making their intellectualism their God. Right? They're making their bodies their God. That was free. All right. So we all know that God's truth is based off one thing. It says in John 17, 17, Jesus said that his word is truth. Which leads to the fourth factor, and we're going to land this thing. In John chapter 12, it basically lets us know, number four, that God judges according to the word. So what he said in John 12, Jesus said, The word that I have spoken will judge him. Who's him? It's all the world in the last day. That's the word, right? So the final authority of all judgment is the Bible. So it's impartial, it's, it's, it's unchanging, right, that all of us are going to have to answer to. It's the standard, okay? So just in case, because once again, I don't know why, but in my generation, something shifted again, right? And people started doing this. Y'all, y'all pay attention here. Watch this. They started going, mm, I like that part from the Bible. Oh, I, I'll take that. I like that blessing stuff. Oh, that's good, too. That, that, ooh, that's good. Forgiveness? Yeah, I need some of that. Peace? Oh, I definitely need that. I'll take that. Grace? Oh, yeah, I got that. Holiness? Mm. Let's do away with that. Honor your parents? Ah. Y'all notice it didn't have an age limit on that. Way too many people get out of their mama's house and act like they can treat her like with no respect. You're in sin. Okay, so, so, so listen, it's like this, man, people for real pick and choose what they want, and that's how they live their life. And, but listen, we need to realize Psalm 119 says this. Here's what the standard says. It says the entirety. Y'all get that word? I know I'm from Alabama, but that means the whole thing. <laughs> from the first chapter in Genesis to the last chapter in Revelation. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments, all of his decisions that are based off this, they endure. How long? Forever. And say 2023, we're going to mix it up. This is going to last forever, right? All right. I know that's pretty simple. Let's close with this thought. So can you imagine what would happen If you and I begin to live our lives with an actual kingdom perspective that said, I'm not going to live just with 60, 70, 80, 90, Lord Jesus, help me, years in mind. But if I actually said, you know what, I'm going to live for eternity. How different would our lives look if that was the case? So let me give you a hypothetical scenario. I heard John Bevere say this years ago, and I, I like John Bevere. If you never listened to him, go listen to him. Great preacher. 
But he said this. He said, let's say that you and I have the ability to live for 3,000 years on this earth. And on our next birthday, whenever that is for all of us in this room, somebody approaches us and says, you know what? I, I want you to know that, that you have like a special, like however you live tomorrow, that's going to determine how you spend the rest of your time on the earth. So that will determine the quality of your life physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like how you live tomorrow is going to decide how you get to live your life in all of those areas. So let's say if that was true, how in the world would we conduct ourselves tomorrow? Right? Like, like when we get up, hit snooze button 50 times, right? Drag out of bed. Somebody says something we don't like, we holler at them. Right? Will we, will we go about the rest of the day responding to every emotion and every fleshly desire and every stupid thought that comes between our ears? Y'all don't ever get those? <laughs> I get them. Will we live our day like that? Like what, so haphazard, whatever comes is going to come, and, and, and I'm going to do this. In fact, I, you know, listen, being a Southern boy, I've done street evangelism at Mardi Gras. Okay? And, uh, and so that is people who literally go, you know, it's Mardi Gras stands for Fat Tuesday. That's what it means. And, uh, and it says basically those people go, we're going to sin as much as we can today because the next day they go to church, <laughs> right? They go get ashes on their head and it's Ash Wednesday, right? And they, they go and they think they're forgiven for everything they ever did. And, it, and I'm telling you all, because I've been there several times, it is as vile as it comes, okay? And, uh, and so, so would we approach today like those guys or do you think we would wake up and go, man, I'm going to be on my A game today. I'm waking up. I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to worship. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be nice to my wife. I'm not going to holler at my kids. I'm not going to kick the dog. I'm not going to, right? <laughs> Y'all with me? Like, I think that we, would, that we would probably bring our A game, put our best foot forward if we have uh, any kind of brain between our two ears. Maybe just me. Y'all are looking at me like you're unsure. So, so to bring that example, I know it's far-fetched, kind of silly, but, but to bring that example into reality, once again, 70, 80, 90 years, man, the Bible is really clear how we live this 70, 80, 90 years. It's going to determine how we live in eternity. So don't you think we should bring our A game and stop living? Right? I think so. Can you stand? Let me pray for you. You can pray too while you stand. That's fine. So here's what's so cool. If however you've lived up to this point, the good news is, is Jesus really loves you. Okay? And so while today may be heavy and it may be like, oh, God, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. At the end of the day, man, if you get right with Jesus, it changes everything. So I'm trying to tell you today, listen, I, I know what it's like. To not walk with God. And I know what it's like to walk with God. And I want you to know he is real. He is real. And he answers prayers. He shows up. He comforts his prayer. Like I can give you a lot of stories of how I've just seen God move. He's real. That's all I'm going to say. And he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And if you've never said, Jesus, give me your life. Man, today's a really good day to do it. And if, you, and if you've been wondering, 
right? I, I want you to know you, you, you really can't outrun the goodness of God and his grace. You haven't ran too far that he can't reach you. And all you have to do is turn around. I promise you he'll smack you right there in a good way. He'll meet you there, okay? So I will let you do that in your own heart. And it's really simple. Jesus, save me. Rescue me from myself. Rescue me from my life. And, and it's simple as this. Look, I believe you're real. Did Jesus die for your sins? Yes. Okay. Did he come back to life? Yes, or we wouldn't be here today. If he didn't resurrect, we might as well go home. And let me just say this. For if there's anybody that's struggling in some way, y'all do realize that the resurrection life, that Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the life, that means we don't have to wait until we die to get resurrection life. That means resurrection life is available right now for wherever or whatever you have need of. Jesus can move and he can touch your heart. Peace, joy, whatever, hope, he's got you. Okay, he's way cooler than all of us. Amen? So let me pray for you if you don't mind. Jesus, I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, I believe you brought them here. Lord, wherever they're from today, God, I don't believe they're here by accident. God, I believe that you had something that you wanted to say to them. And Lord, whatever that was, I hope they caught it. So Lord, I'm asking God for all of us today that we would not just receive some little bit of Bible knowledge, but Lord, that there would be that incorruptible seed, the word of God, that it would go down deep in our hearts. Lord, I'm asking that that word would be planted and it would grow some roots and it would begin to bear some fruit in the sense that, God, that it would, revelation would come and we would actually live according to what we're hearing today. We'd be doers of the word. So, God, would you give us a, if you put eternity in our hearts, would you give us a greater revelation to understand what that means for our lives? And how we should live our lives. God, everybody in this room, including myself, knows things that we need to tweak. And we all know areas that we need grace. And, and by grace, I don't mean the forgiveness, but your empowerment to be able to do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, would you meet us in this moment? If we're young, if we're old, God, would you just simply help us to live, once again, not with a frail view of life but God the real view of life to understand that one day we're going to stand before you that we will give an account God of, of who we are and what we've done God we want to be obedient people God help us to be obedient give us ears to hear and give us a heart that's willing to obey and Lord I'm asking if there's anybody in this room that, that's unsure even if you're real or, or if you love them or not God would you simply just meet them here today God would you put your hand upon them God, just like you put your hand upon me and upon so many other people in this room, God, and you revealed yourself to us. God, would you reveal yourself to them, God, so they can know you like we know you, so they can love you like we love you. God, that's why we're here today, because you changed our lives. We're grateful for that. So, Lord, today I bless your people. I thank you that you're helping them become all that you've destined for them to be. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.